What is spirituality? And what is the goal of spirituality? What is spirituality attempting to do with a human being? This will be the focus of our fourth message in the series, Lessons in Loving. We begin with a story related by Anthony DeMello in his superb book of stories, The Song of the Bird. I'll embellish the story a little to make a couple of extra points, but basically the story goes that a farmer one day was wandering back in his fields, and he came upon an egg, an egg that was lying on the ground, and he looked to the tree above, and it was one of those old, haggard, scrawny kinds of trees, and he saw up there an eagle's nest, and this egg had fallen out of the eagle's nest. And he thought about putting it back up into the nest, but knew that if he did so, the eagle would catch a whiff of his scent, and at any rate, it was too hard to get to the nest, tree being as scraggly as it was. So what he decided to do was, he took the egg back to his farm and put it in the brooder with the turkey eggs. Time went along and the egg eventually hatched. And the little eaglet ran around with the little turkeys after it picked up a bit of strength, but grew up thinking that it was a turkey. It didn't look like a turkey. It looked like an eagle, but it pecked on the ground and flew up on the branch to sleep and acted pretty much like the little turkeys were acting. But then one day, while pecking around outside on the ground with its turkey brothers and sisters, it saw a magnificent bald eagle soaring in the sky overhead. And a chill went up and down his spine, and just something inside of him went off, and he started feeling a way that he'd never felt before. And he said, wow, look at that. What is that? And his turkey brothers and sisters said, that's an eagle, the most magnificent of all birds. But you don't have to worry. You'll never be an eagle. You're just an old turkey like us. And the moral of the story, and there are two, but one of them, and you may have seen it on little signs in offices from time to time, is that it's difficult to soar like an eagle when you live and work with a bunch of turkeys. And that's true. You live and work around people who are rigid and negative. Uh, you'll pick up some of that yourself. But the second and more significant moral of the story is that it's difficult to soar like an eagle when you think you're a turkey. And that's a problem that we've identified throughout this tape series is the problem of what is our vision of a human being? What kind of growth do we think is possible for us? Many people grow up thinking that they're just old turkeys and that they'll never amount to very much. And the problem is, is that if we believe that, that in fact will come to pass. If, if we believe that we're just old turkeys, then in fact we will remain turkeys. What we have in our Christian faith is a model of what it means to be an eagle. And that's what Jesus Christ is. He, he gives us a model of what it means to be a fully human being. We humans are rather unique among the animals in the world in, in that we don't quite know what it means to be a human being. Turkeys don't have to worry about that too much, and I suppose eagles don't either. They are themselves. Birds don't lose any of their birdness when they make decisions, and dogs and cats are pretty much dogs and cats in whatever they do. But what does it mean to be a human being? That is where, in Christianity, we answer, to be a human being means to be like Jesus Christ. 
there are many examples of less than humanness uh, available and observable throughout the earth. Many times we behave in less than human ways. This is not true of the other animals. So the, the real question of spirituality, which we started off with, is how do we become eagles? How do we become fully human beings in Christ? Well, the answer given to us in the scripture is through loving. When the rich young man came to Jesus and asked what he had to do to have obtained eternal life, he was told to keep the commandments, and he replied that he'd done this already. Jesus then challenged him to go a step further and to give up all the things he was attached to and to follow him and to make Christ his number one priority. This was a very difficult thing for him to do, and so he went away saddened. Elsewhere in the scripture, when people ask Jesus what must they do to obtain eternal life, and obtaining eternal life is the unique business of religion, so in essence they're asking him what is the most important religious thing we can do. He says, to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, whole mind, whole soul, and whole strength, and secondly, to love your neighbor as yourself. Throughout this tape series, we've been talking a lot about how to love our neighbors and how to love ourselves. And we've been doing that in the context of the interpersonal and intrapersonal skills. In this message, we're going to focus on how do we love the Lord our God with our whole heart, whole soul, whole mind, and whole strength. And how we do this is the concern of spirituality. Spirituality provides for us a process and a focus for loving the Lord with our whole heart, whole soul, whole mind, and whole strength. I like to think of spirituality in this sense as an approach or a pathway by which one comes closer to God or becomes more fully human in Christ. Another important concept is theology, and theology is closely related to spirituality, for theology provides us with the map which we use to understand the many roads and pathways that are available to us in our approach to God. So theology provides a vision, if you will, and spirituality an approach or process by which this vision unfolds. Religion is an even larger reality. Religion provides for us the affirmations and rituals which influence the manner in which the maps of theology are filled in and the roads of spirituality are drawn in. Thus, at least I believe, there are, there's no such thing as a generic spirituality. Since all spirituality has implicit assumptions about God, meaning, and the final things, which are religious issues with theological perspectives. Many times I hear people say that they're into spirituality, but not religion. And you show me a spirituality that doesn't have theological assumptions about God, and I'll show you a bankrupt theology. So our approach in this message will be to examine spirituality in a Christian context. Our assumptions about ultimate reality are coming out of Christian tradition, specifically in this case, Catholic tradition. Okay, so what does spirituality do? Again, the purpose of spirituality is to mold people into the fullness of Christ. More specifically, it is to bring human consciousness into a harmonious movement with the Holy Spirit. And I suppose 
During the past 15 years, I've had no more burning quest in my life than that of a search for a good, sound spirituality. My adult Christian faith began in 1973 with a Curcia retreat. And in that retreat, I turned my life around. I was uh, rather uh, an agnostic humanist of sorts at that time. And it was at the Curcia retreat that I made a, an adult faith commitment. And it was a turning point, a metanoia, a conversion experience. I followed Curcia up with charismatic renewal. I was quite active in the Pentecostal movement in the Catholic Church for some time. And then got involved also in scripture studies, um, little courses on the Catholic faith. I attended lectures, workshops, any kinds of events that were available that could teach me something about faith, about the Lord, about growing in faith. And I got a lot of growth out of this. There was something about it, however, that was not very balanced, something that always left me hungering for even more. And the more was not God. There were plenty of experiences of God in all of this. The, the more that I hungered for was some kind of a process or structure to hold all of this together and to keep me pointed in the right direction. And I suppose that's what a lot of the talk is these days about lay spirituality. There seems everywhere to be a hunger for this, for a, an approach or process of some kind that can keep us focused in Christ and can lead us to the kind of growth that we're capable of experiencing. All during this time, I had many friends, teachers who said things like, all you need is Jesus. Just keep yourself focused on Jesus and everything will fall into place. And of course, there's a great deal of truth in that. You take our eyes off of Jesus, we are truly going to get lost. But they weren't telling me much about the process in which my growth was to unfold and then the many things I needed to know to keep my focus on Jesus. Others would say things like, it's uh, only important to love. All you need is love, as the Beatles put it. But what does it mean to love? Especially to love with my whole heart, whole soul, whole mind, and whole strength. I was very much aware that there were large parts of me that were not converted, that had never been surrendered, and I wasn't quite sure about how to go about surrendering these things. Well, it wasn't until I came across the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous through my work in the field of substance abuse that I, I found a process that would enable me to grow continually, uh, a process that was also a structure a sound structure, a holistic structure that allowed for ongoing growth and conversion and bringing up these unconverted areas and surrendering them to the Lord. And what I did finally was I wrote about my experiences here in a book entitled Becoming a New Person that was published with Liguri Press. And in that book I talked about how the 12 steps could be used as a spirituality for all people, not just people recovering from alcoholism or drug addiction or gambling or other kinds of obsessive compulsive illnesses. I even wrote a follow-up book called How to Form a Christian Growth Support Group and my dream at that time was to take the 12 steps and to use them as a process of renewal in the church and it was my hope that we would have Christian 12-step groups meeting in parishes and homes all throughout the country. Uh, quite a, a big dream and uh, it got going in some areas, but 
what what seemed to be the problem was that people had a difficult time with step one. Step one is the step in which we admit our powerlessness and that our lives have become unmanageable. Well, that's a little easier for an alcoholic to do than for a non-alcoholic. And if you can't make that first step, then the others don't seem to make uh, quite as much sense. They, they do outline a good sound spirituality, but they do pivot in a way on step one. So I finally, I guess, uh, threw in the towel to some extent. I haven't given up the project completely, but I've come to realize that the 12 steps don't translate very well out of the communities of recovery from addictions. Um, I became involved also in some Eastern approaches to Christian prayer, particularly with uh, Christian Zen. And it was through that involvement that I learned a lot about human consciousness and how consciousness works. And I came to recognize some Im implications here for spirituality. And uh, it is those implications that I'm going to be talking about in this tape. If we're to surrender our whole heart, whole soul, whole mind, and whole strength, what that is is a, a statement of what goes on in consciousness. Okay? So where it's come out for me is that a spirituality is intended to mold people into Christ. And in doing so, it provides a focus by drawing from a theological vision. It provides a process for conversion and ongoing growth, and it provides a support system, or at least it should, if it's going to work to help people at all. Molding consciousness into Christ, then, is a very large topic. This kind of growth has several requirements, a priori requirements. It first of all requires that we have a healthy understanding of the functioning of consciousness. And this is the fruit of intrapersonal intelligence, something we discussed in our second message. And just to review or summarize that understanding, I presented it in the formula that behavior equals perceptions plus thoughts plus feelings plus decisions. And we have to add here also the movement of the will. In other words, what we do in consciousness is we perceive we think, we feel, we desire, we make decisions. And you might also add a, a couple that belong into these larger categories. We, we remember, we imagine, and so forth. Molding consciousness into Christ also presupposes that our human relationships are in order, that there's no growing closer to God at the expense of our human relationships. As the scriptures put it so so very pointedly, if when we approach the altar of God we realize that we are out of sorts with our neighbor, we're to leave our gift at the altar and return and get straight with our neighbor. That being straight with our neighbor is, is a prerequisite to spiritual growth. And there's no growing closer to God without that. There's no neglecting our human relationships on, along the way. It requires that we are people of faith, Faith opens the door to spiritual awareness, although there is more to spirituality than faith. Faith is that trustful, trustful vulnerability, that openness to God that is based on our beliefs about God. Uh, nevertheless, without faith, there, there is no sense of being human in God. There's no sense of God's presence in our lives, and that's, 
that's the gift which faith brings to us is a sensitivity to God's presence in our lives and so without faith there is no such sense of God's presence and therefore no authentic religious spirituality well, that being said it's also important to note that there is no spirituality without faith either rather spirituality has to do with the manner in which we live out our faith and finally we note that any holistic and dynamic spirituality must go hand in hand with our ordinary human relationships and everyday life we're not talking here about some kind of esoteric approach that will cause us to withdraw from the world and go into a cave somewhere and isolate ourselves uh, what we need is a balance between the vertical emphasis which is the focus on God apart from our, our human activities and a horizontal emphasis which is to focus on our ordinary activities uh, many approaches in the past seem to favor the vertical emphasis more than the horizontal and in this day and age one finds more and more uh, focuses on the horizontal aspects without reference to the vertical so we need a balance between the two well I think that balance is possible and I do think it's possible to articulate a holistic spirituality which meets all of the requirements that I've just given and the spirituality that I'm going to outline now in broad general terms is a spirituality which comes largely out of the 12 steps and some of the experiences I had uh, in studying uh, some of the Christian approaches to Eastern prayer forms there's a four-point approach that I use in outlining the spirituality and the first three of those points are have not so much to do with spirituality as they do with psychology and theology the fourth point is the outline of the spirituality itself and I think it's a spirituality that uh, is a little more uh, easily understood and implemented in one's life than the 12 steps so what I'm going to do in the remainder of this uh, tape is to talk about those four points and the spirituality which comes out of them the first point is that we all have needs and that's a pretty basic beginning we all have needs and I think most of our needs would fall into five general areas some of our needs would not fall in these areas but most of the time we spend uh, looking after five general kinds of needs the first of these five is physical needs the needs of our bodies quite obvious there there's no living very long without attending to those needs the second broad area of need would be our needs for esteem and esteem refers to our own self perceptions our own beliefs about self what we think of ourselves uh, what meaning we ascribe to ourselves and so forth so esteem is has to do with relationship with self or self in view of self a third broad area is security how trustworthy is life how dependable is it is this a safe place or not a fourth broad general area of need is status whereas esteem is the self concerned with self status is the self concerned with others perceptions in other words how do other people see me what do they think of me am I important to them uh, that's the concern of status 
And finally, power. And power has to do with my experience of freedom. Do I really have any freedom? Do I have choices? Can I make a difference? Or am I stuck? Okay, so those are the five general areas of needs. Physical, esteem, security, status, and power. And the manner in which we meet those needs is a large part of what we experience as meaning in life. Now the second point in this four-point approach to spirituality is that we use our consciousness to meet our needs, all of our consciousness. And by this I mean our perceiving faculties, our thinking, our feeling, our desiring, our decision-making faculties, our memories, our imagination. We use everything about us goes into meeting those needs. Okay, pretty simple point there. And what we did was we talked about these faculties and activities of consciousness in our second message on intrapersonal intelligence. So learning and growing in intrapersonal intelligence will help us to be aware of how we use our consciousness to meet our needs. A third point in this four-point approach to spirituality takes us a little more into the realm of ethics. And here we note that the manner in which we meet our needs makes us either more selfish or separate or fragmented, or we can meet our needs in such a manner as to become more loving and united and joined with people building community, and we experience serenity when we do this. So there are implications in the way that we meet our needs. We can either become more like turkeys or more like eagles. Now learn, learning how we meet our needs is, is one of the most important things for us to do in, in growing spiritually. And uh, what I like to, uh, the way I like to develop this is to talk about the movement towards selfishness on the one hand and the movement toward love on the other. With the energy of fear fueling our, our focus on selfishness and the energy of love focusing our, our movement toward Christ. So we might talk about this movement towards selfishness as meeting our needs in the small self. And we'll talk about meeting our needs in the Christ self as the movement toward love. And what we see is that we can meet our needs in the small self, or we can meet our needs out of a Christ self stance. When, for example, I attempt to meet my bodily needs out of a selfish or small self stance, what happens is I become more lustful in the area of sexuality or more gluttonous in the area of food, I assume a general hedonistic stance toward created things, that created things are there for sensual enjoyment as ends in themselves. In the area of esteem in the small self, what happens is I, I see myself as an end in myself, which is narcissism. I become proud, vainglorious, um, self-righteous, and even judgmental of others. I define myself in terms of myself, but as an end in myself, too. And this, as the old moralists have told us, is uh, the chief of all sins, is pride, one of the deepest in our nature. In the area of security, when I'm meeting my security needs out of a fear stance or a selfish stance, I can become greedy, attempting to pile up material things to be sure that I have everything I need forever. 
or I can scramble to be sure that I have every insurance policy to cover every kind of contingency. Avaricious, that's the word that the old moralist gave us, and it's one of the seven deadly sins. Uh, another possibility in a meeting our security needs out of a small self is that we would become lazy. It's no use we try to take care of ourselves because the world is just much too dangerous. So let's just throw up our hands and let someone else take care of us, either our family or the government or the church. In meeting our status needs out of a small self stance, we would become envious. We would be comparing ourselves with others and inevitably coming out on the short end of the stick sometimes. Even if we would come out on the, the larger end of the stick, so to speak, that wouldn't be very good either because we would be uh, feeling quite snobbish about that. So in the small self, meeting our status needs takes us to experiences of envy and hatred, which comes out of envy, pretentiousness or showing the false face to the world, and people-pleasing trying to pretend that we're something that we're not, or pretending that so that people will think more highly of us. In the area of power, if we seek to meet our, our needs for power out of a small self or a fearful stance, what happens is we start trying to control people. One way to guarantee that I'm going to have enough freedom is to see to it that you don't have much freedom, because your freedom is a threat to my freedom when I live in a small self. And so I try to control you, and I may use violence or a threat of violence to control you. And so anger, violence, and other kinds of uh, harmful abuse come out of meeting our power needs in a small self stance. That's one option, and quite obviously uh, we all experience that from time to time. It's part of our sinful nature. and. We see this uh, about us in the world. We see examples of this on the television, on the radio, uh, in our neighborhoods. Uh, it's part of the sin in our very flesh and in the world about us. But it's not the only option we have, and quite fortunately there are other ways to meet our needs that bring us closer together and make us more loving. Uh, and let's look at those briefly. If, for example, I attempt to meet my bodily or physical needs out of the Christ self stance moving toward love, then what happens is I, I view created things with perspective. I don't see them as ends in themselves. And so I practice the virtue of temperance or moderation. I don't live to eat, I eat to live. I enjoy food properly. In the area of sexuality, we practice the virtue of chastity. Our sexual drive doesn't become out of uh, joint with the rest of our relationship. It, it becomes part of the context of our relationship, so that sex is not an end in itself, but one way that we express love with a married partner. And even then, we do it in gentleness and respect. So in the area of our physical needs, moderation, chastity, temperance, norms the way in which we meet our needs so that actually we experience more delight from created things. They don't come to rule us. We, we remain the master. In the area of esteem, we recognize that we are not the fourth person of the Blessed Trinity, that we are creatures. And so we become more humble. We practice the virtue of humility. 
And humility does not mean putting oneself down. It means simply being truthful about oneself. Humility means recognizing that I have strengths and that I have weaknesses, that I am good and that I am bad, that part of me is, is very attracted to the ways of God, but part of me is quite rebellious. And growing an in intrapersonal intelligence will help us to recognize that. If we practice humility, we may come to a point where we experience poverty of spirit. And poverty of spirit is the first of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is this poverty of spirit which helps us to recognize our need for God. And without this recognition, which is in essence the first of the 12 steps, it's very difficult for us to progress much in the spiritual life. In the area of security, we meet our needs in the Christ self by coming to trust in the goodness of reality. We practice the virtue of prudence, meaning that we do for ourselves what we should do for ourselves, but we also allow others to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So prudence means that we have to make a reasonable plan of action, that we have to define our needs in reasonable terms, that we really should make some attempt to define our needs in as simple terms as possible so that we don't keep multiplying needs, and that we trust that God will lead us to the people and circumstances that we need when we need them, that we won't be left out hanging to dry and uh, we'll get caught without our needs being met. In the area of status, we practice service, for the greatest among us must be the servant of all. This is the meaning of Christian status the person who is willing to serve and serve in what manner to serve for the cause of justice to see that people have their human rights restored to see that people have their needs met and if we do these things we will experience status in an appropriate manner and finally in the area of power because we are free it doesn't follow that we ought to feel threatened because others also have freedom and so in the Christ self we we allow others their experiences of, of freedom. We do not see the freedom of others as a threat. So we become detached from the need to control others. And we practice patience with others. And also we assert our own needs and use our freedom to assert our needs in an appropriate way. So those are the, the choices we, we present in point number three of this spirituality. The manner in which we meet our needs either makes us more selfish or more loving. When we meet our needs in the small self, we become more selfish. We meet our needs in the Christ self, more loving. And uh, quite obviously, what I've just described represents two extreme poles of a continuum between which probably most of us are vacillating day by day. And we may even find that uh, some of us meet part of our needs more in the Christ self and part of our needs more in the small self. But th there's no question that the ideal in the spiritual life is that we grow to the point where we meet all of our needs out of a Christ self stance. And what that means is that we, we become sensitive to the kind of energy that we're responding to. And that's one of the, the most central and important roles of the spirituality is to help people to become aware of the kind of energy that they're responding to in their lives. And we talk about the two ways, the two kinds of energy. And that's something that St. Ignatius of Loyola talked about a great deal, and 
something that the scriptures talk about. Jesus talked about the two ways, the wide way that leads to perdition, or the narrow way that leads to eternal life. Moses talked about the two ways. I set before you life and death, he said. Uh, choose life. Uh, Jesus says that there's a self that must be lost uh, if we're to gain eternal life. If anyone wants to be a follower of his, uh, we must renounce ourselves, the selfish or small self, and pick up our cross. If we want to lose that small self, we can gain the Christ self, and so gain eternal life. Okay, point number four follows from the first three. And point number four in this spirituality states, in order to meet our needs in a loving manner, the whole of consciousness must be directed toward love. So let's review those four points, and you'll see how this one makes a lot of sense. Point number one is that we all have needs and we describe the wide range of needs. Point number two, we use our consciousness to meet our needs. Point number three, the manner in which we meet our needs makes us more selfish or more loving. And point number four, in order to meet our needs in a loving manner, the whole of consciousness must be directed toward love. And what does consciousness do? Again, we go back to point number two. Consciousness thinks, feels, perceives, makes decisions, desires, and so forth. So what do we need to do to direct consciousness toward love? We need to work on our desires, our feelings, our belief system, our decision-making processes, our perception. And the way that I've expressed it in the spirituality is in, the, in seven broad areas of living skills, which I'll only mention here. We would speak of right behavior. And, and this behavior would be a statement of basic kinds of behaviors uh, which are, are loving and identifying other kinds of behaviors which are not loving, which belong to the realm of the small self. And looking at behavior, sort of a looking at the fruits of the spirit here, helps us to keep our, our focus in Christ. So that we might identify wrong behaviors as stealing, lying, uh, illicit sexual expression, um, cheating, uh, dishonesty, killing, cursing, uh, some of the things that are outlined in the Ten Commandments and in the moral precepts of really all the religions of the world. But right behavior could also assume a positive focus in the corporal and the spiritual works of mercy, which, which give us a beautiful profile of what it means to love. Well, if we want right behavior, we have to have right desires. And what are right desires? They are desires that point us in the direction of love, in the direction of the spiritual and the corporal works of mercy. We recognize here too that we have wrong desires and so in order to discipline our wrong desires we need to learn to practice renunciation. We need to learn to say no to ourselves and we learn, need to learn to recognize the consequences of not saying no. So there are a whole variety of strategies for practicing renunciation and we can learn these strategies. We can teach them and learn them and practice them and so keep ourselves at least avoiding the wrong and we can point ourselves toward the right by practicing benevolence, which is wishing well to all, which is by seeing ourselves as connected to all. In the small self, you remember, we see ourselves as separate or fragmented. In the Christ self, we see ourselves as united and that is the real truth in the spiritual life is that we are all connected. We are all part of each other. 
Even the very air we breathe joins us with each other. With every breath I take, molecules pass through my nostrils and go into my lungs, which have been shared by many other aspects of creation. Okay, so first, living skill, right behavior. Second, right desires. Third one is right expression of feelings. And you won't find too many spiritualities which deal with this, but I think it's very important that we deal with that. We've talked about feelings quite a bit in our previous messages, especially message number two, and to some extent in number three as well. And right expression of feelings uh, refers to three basic things. First, that we accept our feelings and accept ourselves as a feeling person. So we welcome our feelings. Secondly, that we learn to express them appropriately, and we talked a lot about that, and especially in our second message. And thirdly, that we learn what we can from our feelings. And that one also belongs to intrapersonal intelligence. So we can learn from our feelings. It's part of us, and it affects the way we relate. A fourth area is right beliefs about life's meaning. Since our behavior, our desires, our feelings are affected by our beliefs, it's important that we have a healthy set of beliefs. And this is the gift which our religious tradition gives to us, uh, and which comes to us also in theology. And it is the role of theology to articulate the truth of one's religions to an ever-changing world, to help one to recognize what those truths are and how they apply in today's world. So right beliefs about life's meaning would refer to three large clusters of beliefs. Uh, beliefs about God, what kind of a God is God, and Christ leaves us with no ambiguity here in teaching us that God is a God of love who loves us unconditionally, no matter what. So we have no ifs, ands, and buts. This is not an angry, judgmental God. Right beliefs about human nature, and I believe we need to do a lot of work here. We need to teach people uh, some basic metaphysical concepts. There's not a screaming cry coming from the church in that direction for sure, but I think people are a little lost without metaphysics. We need to know what a human being is. There's still an awful lot of dualism out there which regards human beings as spirits that are trapped in a body. We need to know how our, our mind and our spirits and our bodies work together. We need to know that we're children of God. And we're talking about right beliefs about the meaning in life, about uh, given what kind of a God is God, a loving God, then we need to know what does God expect of human beings and what does it mean to be a human being? Uh, what is our eternal destiny? Uh, what is expected of us while we're here on this earth? So that's right beliefs about life's meaning outlines a broad category of uh, thinking kinds of issues which affect our, our vision of life. A fifth general area has to do with right values. And by a value, I mean a kind of belief that affects the way in which we meet our needs. Values are, are thoughts, really, about how we should meet our needs. And I speak of five uh, kinds of values. One would be humility is a value which norms the way we meet our esteem needs. Prudence is the value which norms the way we meet our security needs. Uh, service unto justice is the value which norms the way we meet our status needs. Temperance is the value which norms the way we meet our bodily needs. And finally, uh, courage or assertiveness is the value which norms the way we meet our, our power needs. 
So right values can be taught, can be learned for sure. Right discernment, how we make decisions, especially how we make decisions about God's will. What is God calling us to do? And the great teacher in this area was Ignatius of Loyola, who handed us a splendid set of guidelines for the discernment of spirits. And finally, right awareness. Where is our attention? Are we in the here and now, or are we vacillating somewhere between the past and the future? Learning to discipline our awareness is one of the most critical factors for growing in the spiritual life, and I believe one of the most neglected as well. Most people live most of their lives vacillating between past and future, checking into the present only every now and then, when all the while life is going on in this very moment, and this is where God is to be found. Which is not to say, of course, that we shouldn't take time to remember the past or plan the future. We should, but we should do that, even that, in a now moment. So that's the four-point approach to spirituality, the general structure. The process for living it out daily is a very simple one, and I'll just summarize that and close. We begin our day with prayer, a prayer that helps to open us to the higher context of existence in which we live, which is God. And I, I believe without prayer, you might as well forget everything else. If you want to grow in the spiritual life, uh, prayer will, will really be an invaluable and essential part of that growth. So everything begins with prayer. And then we simply go through our day in awareness, honesty, and benevolence. The three mega values or mega virtues which will keep us focused properly all day long. And the little slogan I use for myself here is, do what you're doing in truth and love. Be here now in truth and love. And these are the everyday manifestations of faith, hope, and charity. Awareness in the supernatural realm is faith. Honesty in the supernatural realm turns out to be hope, that the truth will set us free. And awareness and, and benevolence, I'm sorry, in the supernatural realm is charity, giving and wishing the best for all. So we bring these qualities to all that we do. And if we've prayed in the morning, our prayer will nourish us in awareness, benevolence, and honesty. And finally, we take inventory at the end of the day. We look back on our day, and we've talked about inventory in almost every message so far, and I just believe it's, it's a critical part of our growth. If we don't take time to do inventory, uh, we will simply make big circles and do the same thing again and again. As someone once said, we don't learn anything from experience. We learn only by reflecting on experience. Uh, this inventory was a very big part of St. Ignatius of Loyola's spiritual recommendations for his Jesuits, and he called it the examine of consciousness. In the 12 steps, it turns out to be step number 10, which states we continue to take inventory and promptly admit it when we're wrong. So that's the process for living it out every day. Morning prayer, going about the day in awareness, honesty, and benevolence. Looking back at the end of the day to see how we've lived. Uh, were we there with our lives? Were we benevolent? Uh, how were we working our relationship skills? What are the spiritual living skills we need to spend more time on? And then to be thankful, even though we've messed up, and surely we will to be thankful for the great gift which God has given us, and to then go to sleep and allow the Spirit to work with us in that sleep and bring us to a new day where we start the process over again. 